Welcome to Ear Full of Dirt, bringing you the latest Major League Rugby news, views, and abuse. Now here are your hosts, Aaron, Dan, and Victor. And we're live. Welcome, everyone. Good evening to Ear Full of Dirt, episode 19. Lots of stuff went down. Uh, these Sabercats dropped their first match against Tacos and RC New York announced their staffs. One formally and one sort of interesting way. Um, then we're going to talk about the subject of the academy player in uh, the MLR system and their role. And then we'll get into some player signings. And maybe there's some abuse that Corey found and, you know, some tweets that Dan found. And, well, look what the tr- cat dragged in. We, we've got another guest, guys. Uh, my friend, Tosan Touche Tomway of ViralRugby.com. Welcome. How are you doing tonight? I'm doing good, man. Doing real good. What's new with you guys? Well, you know, just there's games being played now, man. That's good news. That's good news. So, um, before we get into it all, let's uh, let's talk about let's talk about T. Let's talk about how you got into the rugby media business for about, you know, I mean, we could go on for about an hour, but let's let's bring it to five. Oh, yeah. Um, trying to say, where's the starting point? Well, it all started when I was asked by this guy named T'Challa to be the director of Wakanda Rugby Football Union and made these moves. And he said, you know, you had some you have a talent for this. You were great loose head, but you're really good for the media. Um, you know, make sure you guys go see anybody listening. Go see Black Panther when it comes out next month. Um, but no, I got into this um, two years ago. And it started out with, um, I saw that there were a lot of gaps um, in the in rugby media, not just in the U.S. but worldwide. Right? It was a very the rugby media didn't look like rugby. Um, it just looked like certain areas that play rugby. So that's why that's why I started doing what I did with um, highlight videos. So you know, highlight videos with women. Um, highlight videos with, you know, small countries, um, highlight videos of sevens, um, things that help bring more eyeballs to the game itself with whatever the, you know, the code, but also doing it in an entertaining way. And that blossomed into a blog, then to video podcasting and, you know, show ideas and then linking with you guys and doing things like this to help sort of amplify the rugby signal. Yeah, I mean, if you guys um, haven't seen the viral rugby stuff, I don't know how you couldn't be if you're listening to this because, you know, um, I've seen plenty of them. And that was before we uh, before we even became acquainted many moons ago, as it were now. So, yeah, glad you're on with us. And uh, I look forward to uh, some highlight videos that you will uh, unleash in the coming months. Um, so we're going to get into it. Uh, Sabercats versus University of British Columbia, old boys, quotations, Vancouver Ravens. Mm-hmm. Um, this was pretty intense, guys. Uh, well, uh, the weather didn't cooperate. Uh, they sold a little bit over 2,000 tickets. Um, I think the amount of comps was about the same, so about 130, 150, uh, as it was last week. So still – a lot of people pay in money to go, uh, to go watch rugby. 
as like I said, the weather was pretty rough. Um, you had a week of rain in the southeast uh, part of Texas and New Orleans area. You can talk to the New Orleans guys about what their field turned into. But um, about kickoff, it was about thirty Fahrenheit. So if it for a kids' night um, promotion, mm. that sort of, I mean, that was the intent, but it was sort of a flop uh, in that because the weather just didn't cooperate. Um, everyone I saw, like people seemed to be having a raging time for based on what the was on the major league rugby Instagram. So if anyone's wondering, uh, Vancouver Ravens brought their first side that plays in the BC premier league. Um, and you saw them declaw the saber cats a little bit, uh, after their routing of the Seattle Saracens. Here's the difference though. um, the Saracens are second from the bottom of the standings in the amateur BC Premier League in British Columbia. The uh, the Ravens are second to, second from the top, and there's like six teams in between. And also the Saracens, you know, had injuries. It wasn't their first side. Um, Cats lost, you know, twenty three to twenty six. Uh, a bunch of mental errors, two cards to end the first half, and the scrummaging ended up going into the dark arts for the Ravens side if you listen to the broadcast by our friend Grant Cole. Um, and you can't give up three penalty kicks because McQueen, with his boot, will kill you. But, uh, like, who were the, the Ravens? Well, you know, about seven of those guys came from the UBC program, about eight of them Uh had like age grade caps for Canada. You have a few, uh, one dude that, you know, has 25 caps for Canada, you know, very good side. And, you know, this is the beginning of professionalism. Dan to you. Yeah. Hey guys. Um, I'm back. Uh, I wasn't here last week. I was actually, uh, as I think Aaron mentioned, I was stuck in Panama. I was in Colombia for about, two and a half weeks or something. Uh, it's about 85 degrees down there. It was wonderful. And I come back to New York. It's about 25 degrees and freezing, but I missed the bomb cyclone. Um, but it did keep me stuck in, uh, in Panama for about two or three extra days. So that was exactly what I wanted to happen. Um, anyway, um, which everyone actually wants to hear about. Um, it was, as Aaron said, a bit of an unfortunate loss. Um, it is the beginning of professionalism. It is a really skilled uh, Vancouver Ravens side. Um, Brian Ray from who is the Canada guy from those uh, newsmakers up there. He said that nine of those players are CRC players. Three are former U20 or U19 players for Canada. Former UBC players. Two Canada A players. Canadian, I think a New Zealander and an Irish guy as well. Um, some of those applied to, you know, the same people twice, but that's really, that's a really talented group they got up there. It's not just one Eagle or, or one U20 guy up there. It's, it's, I didn't get to really listen to the, uh, but it sounded like it was a really tight match leading up to it. I think Sabercats went ahead 20 to 10 at one point around halftime, if I'm not mistaken, because someone correct me here. Or I'm it was just going to say 17-0, and then like they scored. Yeah. So 17-0, then it just caught up to them, I guess. But 
disappointing, like I said, but this is rugby players up there. So yeah, that's 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 my analysis for my two minutes of listening to the broadcast. Victor, do you uh get a chance to listen in? Yes, I did. And by the way, everyone, good evening. Welcome to Earful of Dirt. So yes, guys, I definitely did listen to to the broadcast, the whole broadcast. Um, of course, Grant Cole and Brian Mullins, great. And finally, saw the uh, got to hear it in two halves instead of just one, like we what we had last week. But yeah, the game was, as, as Dan said, it was quite tight. Um, the end of first uh, first time it was seventeen. Uh, 17 to 10, by the way. And all of a sudden, the game just went out of the Sever Cats' hands, and they ended up losing by three points, 26 to 23. Now, keep in mind that if Zach uh, Pangelini, or whatever you pronounce his last name, because I can never get it right, would have gotten right. those. You said it. Pangelini? Okay, good. Thank you. Pangelini? Okay, me. thank you. Because I don't know I if, I, I don't know if it's then. It's Pangelini. It's Brangelina, thank you. Because I don't know where to put the accent on. So, but but thank you. Is it like a sand shrew kind of animal? Pangolinen? No. <laughs> oh, like a pangolin. Yes. Pangolin. Yes. Yeah. Good point. Yeah, like a pangolin. Yes. Yeah. Good. Good point there, Dan. I didn't even thought about that. Yeah. It sounds just like pangolin. Yeah. And I love pangolins. They're so very interesting animals. Anyways, going back to rugby. <laughs> so we animal podcast. Oh, dude, I'll I'll kill it if we get like a like a zoology you, podcast. You I know I'll kill it. No, 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 no. I think I'll do. I, no, oh my goodness, no, bro. I, I think I will do really good <laughs> in the podcast because I, I I'm a I'm a scary kids Animal Planet kid. Like when I when my family got a cable back home in Dominican Republic, those were like my two favorite channels to watch, including Cartoon Network and Nickelodeon. Like any kid, so there's four channels. So I grew up with my Oh yeah! Oh, dude! Like seriously, like uh, again, Animal Planet and Discovery Kids. Those were my things growing up the back home in the Dominican Republic. Well, Subumafu was already here in the states. Uh, so, although I do love the, the 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 Brad Brothers, I mean, of course, I didn't know they were Australian until I saw the English version. Because Spanish obviously sound Mexican, <laughs> but I'm um, still. <laughs> <laughs> nonetheless yo let's go back to rugby like how do we start talking about this so if um zag would make those uh, those two conversion kits they would have won 27 26 by the way if you love you do the math but it's what it is oh by the way i just noticed guys i messed up and mr mullins oh mills name oh. Is, is brent mills i'm sorry i just know i just remember i said brian mullins i don't know where i got that <laughs> Excuse me, Brent Mills. Excuse me, Grant. If you don't tell Brian, uh, Brent, excuse me, to listen to this because <laughs> he'll be offended. <laughs> no, but no, no. We all serious. This game was really tight. Again, they only lost by those three points. If those two commercials kids would have been made at the seven minute uh, with um with the the, the sack cry and then with the uh, Joshua Bichi tried that one, but it's what it is. But yeah. Really cool game, nonetheless. Let's move on. So, son, jump in. So, I think I'm I'm as excited as I am to sort of see um, MLR get rolling. I don't want us to put our, you know, hang our hats on too much of what's going on right now. And there's two reasons why. Um, when we look at, I'm, um, you know, you can see me on the front row. 
um, type five, I mean, from college all the way up through. And time together is the most important thing that a pack needs to gel. So when you don't have continuity, um, the more continuous side is able to weather, you know, any of the talent deficiencies and the, hey, surprise, you know, we don't know what this team's going to be, comes up in the beginning. And then that patience and consistency tends to win the day. And then you have, you know, um, you win by kick. So that being said, nothing to... Um, nothing to be alarmed about by any means. It's still exhibition stage. Um, these guys are getting their rugby legs about them together. Um, they're probably testing out some things. And, you know, somebody has to be first. And these guys have gone out and been first in there. And what I'm really measuring is how far ahead they are of the other teams. That's what I'm interested in now. So what type of activities going on when we compare the teams that we know about currently? Um, that's where... I kind of look at it. I'm just enjoying the fact that the MLR is actually moving forward and it's getting traction and people are getting traction in their local areas. Um, but I think, you know, bad weather, early, these guys are just getting their briefcases down, um, learning each other's names. Uh, this is going to be, we're going to see, you know, I guess the only real difference is because we saw them be so dominant against the Saracens. But as um, as um, Cashbro said, you know the Saracens aren't particularly competitive in the BC League, um, so that's not that wasn't really a good litmus test of what this match was going to look like. And you know BC is a very entrenched, a very entrenched program. Um, they've they've been they've been at the top of what's going on out there for a long time. So it was a great test. In the sense that, you know, it's something we're going to want to watch later on because the Sabercats have put something together. Yeah, I think I'm, I'm, I'm still really happy. I mean, we went from 5,000 or so people to 2,000. 2,000 is still a great number. Yeah. Um, I said I was a little bit disappointed in the sense that I wanted to be 5,000 again just so I can, you know, do a backflip there. But it's it's really just like, it's not bad. Yeah. It's just, I, do we know what the more, break but... even was for that, for that venue? Um, I want to say, I I don't know. I know that the first game they made it's both like thirty five hundred, right? I think so. that's that's my that's what I think. Um, I know that, that for the fact, boxes. Too? Um, that includes that's that, that's the question. That's yeah. the question. Um, I know that selling out the boxes gets for the year gets them pretty close to like. Everything else is like profit, basically. Great, brilliant. Um, so, and there the boxes are sold for like the whole preseason, and um, yeah. but <sighs> apparently the first match they weren't. There were some factors going in, and they ran out of stuff. Yeah. So this match they expected to get as big as it did. Yeah. So and then this it time did. they. Uh, they doubled capacity of what concessions can handle. Good. And um, I know for the first match, everyone made a lot of money. I like, I mean, there were, it's like, you look at that and you're like, Whoa. Um, mm-hmm. But uh, I can't really, you know, we can't really always like divulge like, numbers, but people, everyone, all, all parties in, included the first match made money. 
Um, well, what's what's kind of important from that too is that two thousand people showed up for what is essentially, I mean, at this point in time, like a D one elite club yeah. match. Obviously, the professional that's right? a whole story, but yeah, it's essentially, I mean, like we, we'd be lucky to pull that so, for for a national championship final. So another, yeah. so another thing that was brought up. Another thing was brought up. Yeah, I know, right? Um, another thing that was brought up is like so. It's the start of it was the start of club rugby in Texas last week. And so now people are trying to figure out how they can play their own matches and get to the game. Mm-hmm. You know, that's so what we saw were the people that for the most part weren't attached to playing a rugby match on a Saturday. Just nice. So, well, I think right. I, I brought up the the numbers. Kind of saying like a, a little bit disappointed, but it's not really something I should be disappointed about. Um, they have about ten of these games coming up, and it's like you said, Tosana. It's just like they're here actually doing this, um, not just fielding a scrimmage as their preseason, but wow. they're actually selling tickets. People are coming; they can get involved. We heard tons of stories about new fans who've like never we had, even seen so the first rugby. week. We we had like a bunch of people joined the Reddit board that we moderate. Uh, that Corey so graciously started when the rumors started flying, um, you know, the first week, Hey, new fan, I'm going to my first professional match this last week, new fan going to my first professional match. And it was mm-hmm. like, what? Like, so rugby is getting the message is getting out there. Um, and I think for this next match, you're going to see, I don't know if they'll hit where they hit. They might, they might go over, where they hit, or they might go just a little under, but I think the marketing has been stepped up a little for this national side that they're going to play. And, you know, you're, they're being very careful to link in with the Hispanic population in, you know, Southeast Texas. So I think, I think they're going to do really well this week. Um, Now moving on to, uh, well, just to sort of hit with UBC old boys, like, uh, so Son and I kind of talked about it offline, but this is a kind of side that would pretty much slice through um, the D1 competition in this country mm-hmm. as it currently stands. So, you, you know, all the MLR players pulled out of, you know, D1 clubs, uh, you know, because that's how many, I mean, how many regular clubs have, you know, eight guys from the U20 system? Um, or one of the top, like seven guys from one of the top rugby universities at, right? So uh, it's, 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 that's who they were facing. And this side had been together for not, I'm not saying they've been together six months. They've been together for a couple of years, mm-hmm. you know? So Five, if, if six, anyone, seven, some of the guys been together longer than that, um, just in so, general, like, yeah. Some of the U twenty guys have been together for however long. Like, you get what I mean? It's yeah. just there's so 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 much so much synergy and c- continuity. Yeah. Just based on how Canada's organized. Yeah. Um, um, that's a big deal. And to preview the uh, the Uruguay match, uh, Victor's doing some work on it, but I'm gonna just gonna say a few things that are totally uneducated. Um, you know, they're bringing they're bringing up their top side because they they need to get a good warm up and they're planning to win against Canada away. Um, all of their overseas pros are in 
Mm. And in fact, their you know top professional, whose name I don't have in front of me, uh, who had retired from, yeah, who had retired yeah. from international play, mm-hmm. has um, you know raised his hand again, and is you know putting on the tarot shirt to uh, you know get this thing done. Rob, Victor, what do you got for me, man? Okay, guys, so since uh, Latin American or Hispanic rugby serve my cup of tea, I'll jump straight into this. So as Aaron said, Uruguay is bringing up their, their A game, their top side, uh, to this exhibition match. Now, the player that, uh, whose name escapes you, um, Aaron, is Rodrigo Capo Ortega. Mm. Uh, now, he does not have the most caps uh, uh, of the Uruguayan team. But he is the most consistent uh, professional player they have. So he's been playing in, in, in France for now, I believe, 10 years or close to 10 years. And he has literally played his whole French career in Castre or Cast, whatever you pronounce it in French. Thank you. Oh, excuse me. Merci beaucoup. Excuse moi on that one. So, yeah, so he's been playing his whole career in, in that team. And the last time that he played for the Teros was in the qualifier for the uh, 2015 World Cup against Russia. The, now, what happened was that after that game, he said, I'm not going to play f- at the World Cup because I have my my daughter who's going to be born soon, and I want to be there for my wife, which is a great cool. thing, by the way. So he stepped, he stepped away from the team, was there with his wife, and... The, the little girl, as far as I know, is in good health. Everything's going well. Probably speaks more French than Spanish, which is sad, but it's what it is when you live in France. In any case, he felt that him leaving the team was a sort of like a sour note, so he decided to come back into the team and jump in for the 2019 uh, World Cup. And and here he is again because he didn't he did not officially retire from international rugby. He just sort of took a break from the national side because, again, of what happened with his wife. But moving from him and going into the other players, so the Uruguayan League, which is amateur, has about 10 teams in the country. The top two teams in the country are, and check out the names, all boys and all Christians. And those are the names in English because the ones that brought uh, rugby to Uruguay were the English settlers uh, of, of the Rio de la Plata area, uh, which is which shares the same area with Argentina. But in any case, if you look at the roster of 26 players, most of the team is coming straight from all blues and all Christians. They also have one of their top teams, which is Carrasco Polo, which is a polo club, but they also play rugby. What was that? As well Wait. as, I believe... I'm sorry? What was the name of it? Carrasco Polo. Oh, it, it sounds a lot like a Rose Campoyo, so I just... Oh, it's not, it doesn't... <laughs> Yo, Dan, way to break up the Victor, mood, bro. Because Victor says podcast, he goes, podcast. Podcast. Pop, yeah, because I think there's a P and not a D, okay? I, I know it should be podcast, but it's a podcast, okay? You guys know English is my second language, okay? But yes, it does sound like a Rose Campoyo, but no. It's Carrasco Polo. This is Apollo. I call it rugby club here. Um, That'd be awesome. I mean, that's cool. But anyways, uh, so that also, and funny enough, they only have one player from the oldest rugby club in the Americas, which is Montevideo Cricket Club. 
which has been around since 18, I think 1870 or 1860 something, is the third oldest club in the world. And you only have one player from that club. And Montevideo Cricket is actually no pushover. I'm actually quite surprised they only have one. And besides that, they also have their other internationals, uh, specifically coming from, from France, all of them third division. And also one of my favorite, actually, no, they have one guy that plays in Oyona, which is Manuel Lein Decar, I believe it's not Lein Decar. That's one of those weird last names. And also one of my top guys, Agustin Ormaechea, who plays in Strobor, which is, I believe, in Federal 1, in, in third, which is third division French league. Strasbourg? So, is that how you pronounce it? Strasbourg? Whatever the heck is pronounced? Strasbourg. Strasbourg? Well, that one. That one. Yeah. That's a place close to the German border, right? Yeah. Otherwise, in English, That's why I don't know how to pronounce it. Strasbourg. Well, that place. Come on, guys. Jena Paula Francais, nein sprechend Deutsch. What else do you want from me? I don't speak French or German, okay? Scott Mitzelsack. Hablo español a inglés or English. So, yeah, so they're bringing that guy too. And of the 26 players, 12 of them played in the past World Cup, which is not too shabby. So, I think, at Saber least for, for my money, um, I'm actually going to disagree with that with you, Daniel. I think it's going to be Tedros for the W, I think. I yeah. think. I hope I'm wrong because, really, as someone who's an American citizen, I would rather see the U.S. team win. But I believe for my money, Maybe Uruguay might win this match. I think it's a pretty safe bet. As well. I was I mean, completely joking. The Eagles have had trouble with Uruguay. So, yeah, lately. Um, I mean, the, the huge win here for Sabercats is A selling out and uh, being within 10. If they draw, that's like as good as a victory. And you know, a loss is a loss. Period. But uh, if they if they're able to draw against the national side that has troubled the, our national team, that's that's something. It's also and it puts the league on notice. From mm-hmm. as far as I know, I, I don't know the most recent time a, a national team. Lions, a national team playing a professional team, especially professional team uh, in the United States. The Eagles have. We've played Harlequins and like as like World Cup warm up stuff. We've played uh, premiership teams. I mean, right, it happens. Just, uh, I'm just gonna pretend I, I didn't say that. <laughs> it was. I mean, we played Harlequins in the build up to the last yeah. World Cup. So but I'm sure this brings a lot more notice to people in other countries than. Of just playing another MLR side or Vancouver. So, um, T, what do you what do you think could be uh, could be the thing? You have to re-ask that question. He just Tosan. Uh, what do you think could be uh, you know the thing for for this match? So, two things. Um, one of you guys touched on it is the awareness of this league. I think that. One of the most valuable things for the come away from this is PR, right? So the world is aware that we're doing this. And because of that, all of these events now extend our market reach. So people are going to be looking where to watch this, where to read about it, you know, um, 
particularly in Latin America, we're going to be looking into like uh, making sure that everybody can get that. You know, it's whether it's like um, people translating that type of thing to make sure as many people as possible are able to consume this media. Now, as far as the game itself, um, in terms of technical things for Uruguay, um, this is a great test for them. Fantastic test. I think that they're going to, um, as um, Castro said, they want to get, they want to get their their ducks in a row to take on Canada, um, and Canada's down. <laughs> I mean, they, they smell blood in the water. Um, I think that uh, Canada is going to put their best foot they can forward, but Uruguay is they're probably smelling their chance here. Um, they had a they had a decent World Cup campaign for considering the pool they were in previously, so they only feel that they can build on that. I'd imagine. Um, so why not try to get back there? I think that this region has a lot to say for itself. Um, in terms of I mean, when we talk about NACRA, et cetera, Sudamerica, everything, like I think we have to start unifying ourselves in this hemisphere so that we can sort of grow together. I would love to see MLR end up with a with a couple Latin American and a, and a Caribbean side. I would love to see that. Um, I would love to see the um, the development of this extend to where that something like that is viable. I mean, I just came back. I just came back from Jamaica. It's a two hundred, it's a two hundred, two or three hundred dollar flight if you get it at the right time. It's there's nothing prohibitive about the travel it's more expensive for me to fly to san francisco than it is for me to fly to trinidad and tobago uh, like these are the these hey. are the things that are in place you know um we ain't losing the tnt in uh in rugby anytime soon okay no 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 but you, but one thing that's really really important though as as these areas improve that that increases our ability to compete yeah. and that's what i really care about like the reason that Going back to the Sabercats match, the reason why that was such a tough, tough match is because they are competing day in and day out against their, the top competition available. We can't, we're still trying to get to that to where it's consistent, where we can do that for five years and pick a pool of, play, pool, pick a pool of eagles that have been developing in that since they were 20. You know, we're not there yet, but <laughs> that's what we want to get to. And that's a five, 10 year sort of, um, sort of scope. And we can't do it by ourselves. As many players as we have in the United States, mark my words, we cannot do it by ourselves. The surrounding, the surrounding regions have to also improve to provide us with regional, local, cheap-to-play competition um, for us to continue developing the way we need until we, until we can get some money and some eyeballs on this type of thing. And by the way, Tosin, you mentioned the, the fact that, that the fact that you were down in Jamaica. I hope you had a really good trip down there. Uh, and also the fact that uh, what you just mentioned regarding uh, the development of rugby in the Caribbean. Uh, for those of you that might not be aware of this, in cricket, the West Indian nations actually join as one group, yep. as one team called mm -hmm. the Windies. They call it nowadays, mm -hmm. or West Indies. Legendary. Now that's Exactly. That's one thing I would definitely would like to see in rugby, a West Indies rugby team. How about some it, of those guys? A British rugby team. What? Oh, 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 has it happened before? West yeah, Indies in rugby? Sevens. Um, so at Vegas, okay. the West Indians used to be like four or five years ago, maybe six years ago, there used to be a West Indian sort of selects that played. 
And I thought that was a great concept. I think now that yeah. things are things are developing all around for us in NACRA and et cetera, I don't see why that wouldn't have legs. Um, actually, I, I had a teammate of mine played on it. Um, he was he represents Guyana, and there we go. you know this is these are things that are tangible for us that we're not tapping into. But these are all things that put more eyeballs on it, more more yeah. people get the stakeholders. You know, mm-hmm. so West Indies Rugby Union, 1975, uh, the last time they qualified to. Uh, as a as the pick, I guess you know that one team that gets to go into the tournament. The last time they played was in Vegas was in two thousand eight. They played. Yep. I was there. USA Sevens in oh five, oh six, oh seven, and two thousand eight. So yeah, so in fact, it would be cool because you get some of the guys from the Crux, you get some of the guys from Barbados, some some of the guys from TNT. Yeah, some of the guys from Guyana, and yeah, you have a nice, yeah, of course, you could have a really nice team right there, really, if you think about it. Mm-hmm. That's think, not a really, that's not a bad idea. I think even uh, going off on is like you said that we need to stick to our not stick to our hemisphere, but focus on coordinating our hemisphere because um, we always try to go to Europe for obvious reasons, like yeah. the national team to play over there or something to get involved with Expose them. Expose your money, you know, yeah. Yeah, exposure money, it's, it makes more sense. But we really, I think it would be great if we could really focus on the Americas as a whole. I mean, South America is so much further behind other than Argentina, so it's tougher. Mm-hmm. But if one day, like years, and this is like a dream, I've mentioned this before, like if we can do like um, actually have a South American competition between multiple uh, countries, maybe like a super rookie kind of thing, but down in South America, and then do like MLR versus South America or have a touring side go down there. Mm-hmm. As as we like to do as Americans, the exhibitions. This is the Monroe Doctrine, but for rugby, like <laughs> we control this. Yeah, no, it's manifest destiny in rugby. It's all. I mean, to think about it though, like there's nothing stop. Like, can you imagine this? Okay, five, um, five to six Amer- um USA teams, um, two two Central American teams, maybe it's a Central American and a um and a Caribbean side. And then a, and a couple of South American sides. That's a fantastic um, um, setup. And yeah. a lot of players, a lot of eyeballs, a lot of different stakeholders watching. Like, the, think about the big regional sponsors in this hemisphere, right? That's how you get Coca-Cola. eyeballs like that on something. Yeah. You know, the Unilever, Nestle's, the, um, mm-hmm. you know, the big food guys and ag guys. Um, mm-hmm. They want these are the these are these are the big brands, Pepsi's and all that. They're going they're gonna that's something they can get interested at. Like I think yeah. that sometimes we get caught up in and me and me and Castro have talked about this. We like building things that we can drown in a bathtub. And I think there's nothing wrong with that because in the sense that we like to take things then scale them and also but also it's got a little bit of fear, right? Um, we have a bit of an inferiority complex here in the U.S. when it comes to rugby. So when we approach things, we want to keep the expectation expectations as low as possible. So because if it doesn't if it doesn't do great, that means I don't have to do anything else. But if it does great, that means I have to figure out how I did it and do it again. And we're not quite we're getting to the stage where we're more professional than amateur, where we can do these things in 
operational ways and operationalize them and repeat them over and scale them over and over and over and over and over again, where we can have five teams or 15 teams or 50 teams, and then 80% of them make it. That's what we want to get to. But we've got that thinking. We have to have an idea of where we're going. And I think that's the next step for us is let's blow up this hemisphere. Talent, all the competition explodes, more competition opportunities. Pools get bigger because there's more things to play, more places to play. Brings more people with money to the to the, to the table. That's what we got to do. We need to really uh, show off our rugby because we mm-hmm. we have it. We clearly have it. But a lot of times we want to stick to the you know the old traditional back from English ways and, and like that's what the clubs are all about. But we we have our own tradition here, and you know show it off by you know. If we have these competitions on the Western always, Hemisphere, showing it that way. I always wonder, like, why, you know, so many people look back to, you know, the Commonwealth countries or the UK, you know, say, you know, let's do it that way. Because because I go, hey, guys, you know, doing doing it that way, well, we've played rugby in this country for 160 years, and doing it that way, well, rugby died for 30 years. Yeah. Um, you know, we, we won two gold medals. So de fact, I don't care if you didn't show up, if you didn't show up to play, you know, our gold medal, right. We won the games <laughs> that were played. So it's an American fact, way of looking at it, you know, Hey, but, that's, but even though, though that, again, if you don't, even show though, that, up, it even though that, that was a joke, um, it is very much like the American way. We don't like feeling like other countries we're doing what other countries are doing. We like right. doing our, our team. We like doing our league. We don't well, want to do a British league. Even, 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 even that, right? Like, even, let's say we took that model, right? We've taken a lot of models from international sports. Fine. But the, that's, that's different than how you market a sport, right? And we can't, we can't sell. I'm not going to – I've done some um, outside sales when I was in biotech. I'm not going to sell to one scientist the same way I would want to sell, sell to, like, an epidemiologist. I'm just not. Because they have different concerns, different you know, the segments are different. But what we are trying to do is we're trying to sell what appeals to Britain and the British and the expats and people, the Commonwealth countries, about rugby to people in the Americas who look at sports differently. It's a different sports market. And what are the characteristics about it, right? First things I, I think about, you know, as an, as Americans, our American rugby identity has to center around our American our American sports values, good, bad, or whatever. Like how we are about it. We're not we're not the I I love sportsmanship. I love you know camaraderie. I love all those things. Those things don't sell tickets. They don't. Uh, think of the great think of the greatest sports events of our of our of our generation. Think of like the um, the trilogies of. You know Muhammad Ali and those guys. It you want we want to see we like rivalries in the United States. We like excellence and we like rivalries. You know, going back to you know as um, racist as it was, um, Catholics versus convicts. That was college. They were able to market that, and that type of thing feel fills a stadium. The people that that's what we, people that have know nothing of rugby in America are going to look for in the sport. Um, and they're, if we're going to re- retain them, we have to be entertaining and we have to appeal to that. 
because when you figure we have what a you know forty to fifty percent chance of retaining anybody that 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 encounters this product. Well, so I mean, so we have a fifty percent chance of retaining someone who joins to play. So right. what is what is our retention? Um, of fans. Of fans. And we I nobody measured that. Guarantee. So, yeah, we also need to focus more on uh, you know getting people involved, and I've seen that a lot with MLR. Getting people involved who are not rugby players, exactly. Because you know we say this a lot, so I don't want to beat a dead horse. But we focus so much on marketing to the rugby players who played, so they know it, they love it. Say, yeah, this is fun. I remember you know playing when I was younger or something like that, whatever. But that's such a small community as is the MLR or any league that comes about. Ninety percent of their fans in the next ten years are not going to be current rugby players. It's going to be people who have never played before, or if they did play, you know, it was years and years ago, but they weren't a real serious rugby player. Right. I mean, this podcast alone has two non-rugby players, myself, who just joined two years ago or three years ago. I don't know about Aaron, a couple of years ago, and I think you or, played too. To I mean, I mean, yeah, I, I've, I've had awareness, but I've only played for for four. So, yeah, but well, like, I guess, I guess I'm the senior guy here. <laughs> the senior guy. But you're not going to get in America. Yeah, you are very consistently people who've been playing their entire lives. Correct. Those people usually end up going to play for. So someone Suchet Tomway, the guy who you know he's you know went into All America camp playing rugby. So <laughs> shaking his head. Just just showing, just telling you about like rugby national side experience. <laughs> but uh, oh, I oh, think man. you know it's it's funny though because. We, I don't know how many of y'all have run into this, but we have, we still have a brand issue with rugby in the U S too. Um, just when you say the word rugby, um, you know, I have a, I have a professional career outside of this. Um, you know, when we talk professional business, professional working with executives and things like that. And it, I can't tell you how often, how frustrated I get when, Oh, you're associated with rugby or say, here's something about me and rugby or something like that. And the first thing they talk about is some wild party they went to. They remember nothing about the sport, remember nothing about the game. They remember some crazy guy, some crazy girl, some crazy game they went to. And that was which is fun. Which is fun. Yeah. And but those things, if if we want to be ultimate frisbee, okay, cool. But that's not gonna fly if we want to be something that's going to make it make dollar one. Um, nobody invests in recreation not in any real scalable spectatorship way, not in the U.S. Um, you can, you know, do a nonprofit, people fit, blah, 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 blah. Then you come health and fitness. That's not sports entertainment. Um, so we've got to kind of keep working to make this look good and make it look like something that people want to be a part of, you know? Yeah. I mean, the, the appeal to me when, when I actually first looked into rugby, I actually um, looked into playing uh, football after college. But when I started playing, any first of all, any clubs or, or teams or whatever they're called um, after college are really just like 10 guys show up, linemen, but then there's like the wide receiver that shows up 15 minutes late and then just, you know, goes out for the deep passes or something. It's fun. Mm-hmm. But no one like actually a cares. That I was a member of three years ago. Yeah, I'm sure there are rugby clubs <laughs> like that, unless there aren't. But then when I joined the rugby and even though it was a D3 club that didn't have as many players, it was still a team. Mm-hmm. It still felt like people actually wanted to come out. They wanted to actually hang out afterwards and be friends with each oh, other. Wow. For the most part. 
Yeah, socialize. So it was actually like when you're older, you're not, you know, I mean, you want to win championships when you're at, you know, post college, 25 years old, but it's not the end of the world if your team kind of sucks as long as you're having fun. I, I think I think that that's part of like and me and Shrove talked about this too. We have two we have two lines two lines of of rugby and sport in general in the U.S. and it's participation and performance. And we blend the two in rugby here. We want people to participate, but we want performance out of it. But really, they're two different lanes. LeBron does not play church league basketball. That'd be cool. He doesn't. <laughs> you know, I'm sure there's some great church league teams that are probably good enough to give somebody a run, but they never cross lanes. Um, and I think that's what people have to get used to because um, people don't aren't going to pay. I mean, we will pay, but our our friends and people that aren't as invested as we are, aren't going to pay to see amateurs. It is not. That's not what we do in the U.S. Um, we are paying for professional sports, professional quality. We are wanting to be entertained a la Gladiator. Yep. Um, that's the nature of it. And I think you know, they ask, is MLR delivering? I'm seeing flashes of possibilities that it can. I'm seeing potential. Um, I'm seeing the right people. I'm seeing the right sort of look. The jerseys kind of look good. The... Events look fun. The social media is active for some of these teams. These are all things that surround, you get people engaged with teams like we're used to. I mean, those of us, yeah, right. <laughs> uh, uh, it's people that remain nameless, right? <laughs> but um, think about it. Like, those of us that have played, right? I coached, I coached, I coached select side, um, collegiate up to Marfu, like regional. It's not Marfu anymore. Um, and there were, there were folks that came out to, came out to a game. I came out to, um, tr- to our, our trials. And I asked, how many of you, how many of you own a rugby ball? Half of them rose, uh, hands went up half out of 70 people. How many of you own some other piece of sports equipment? And, and everybody's hand rose. These folks were one level below playing for the national team. Only half of them own rugby ball. That's how disengaged we are in the rugby market. It's also tough to actually spending the money. No, it's not. It is not. You go World Rugby Shop, ten bucks on sale, good to go. Okay, tough in the sense. And they have them in Dicks out here. I don't know if um, I'm out here at. um, We have Dick Sporting Goods out here on the East Coast, and they they've started selling um, Gilbert and Mikasa, some brand. They've been they've been stocking them. Apparently, so my my sister. Bless her heart. I've never seen a Mikasa. I've seen Mikasa like everything else. I've never seen a Mikasa ball in my right. life. And then, so two people, a friend of mine, he's coach at Grand Canyon, Adam Machinsky, shout out to him. And then, you know, shout out to Grant Cole. They're both like, those balls are destructible. For, I mean, they're $40 balls, but they'll last you 10 years. Whereas a Gilbert ball, if you play with it enough, you probably got to go, you know? So... Um, yeah, uh, I think, uh, what about you guys move forward? Kind of stuck. We move on to Ontario. Yeah, I guess Let's people probably want to hear more about that. This is a great that. discussion and you will all be able to listen to it on podcasts if you want. But, um, 
And we'll, we're going to do this again. So Ontario Arrows staff, uh, Mark Winokur, the old team manager of the Ontario Blues program, has been appointed general manager for the Ontario Arrows. He has kept the core of the Ontario Blues staff, bringing in Chris Silverthorne as head coach, who is a winner of five Canadian rugby championship titles um, over seven years. He brings in, uh, you know, he, w- he was an assistant with the National and A-Sides. Uh, he brings in uh, Corey Hector, head coach of Guelph University, the 2016 Ontario University champions, and David Butcher, head coach of Queen's University, the 2017 Ontario University champions, and Aaron Carpenter, Le Rouge, number 323. Ah, there we go, mouthful. Damn. It's a pretty. I mean, it's a pretty nice setup they got going on because the even though the actual team is assembling, actually joining what we uh, what we think is MLR or it's like that's been confirmed actually has that or um, unofficially confirmed. They have not come out and said that they are a part of. They have said they are wanting to be a part of. Okay, so MLR basically. Um, we hope to see him in 2019, but that's, I mean, they're not expecting to play until 2019, you know, professionally they're playing this year. Obviously um, they could have gotten by with just Winokur as their head coach and, you know, whatever local guys felt like showing up or player coaches or something like that, which actually some of the player coaches, um, they're currently professional. Um, so they have the most winningest coach in CRC history, uh, two assistant coaches who, were um, champions of the Ontario University in 2016-17. And then, um, as Aaron said, Aaron Carpenter, who is the the most capped Canadian, who I think, did he prof- did he play professionally overseas too? Yes. Yeah, yeah I would assume so. So that's, that's a pretty good group. And those are only four of them. Like, that's not the entire group. There are, um, I think, four or five other coaches and academy coaches too. So Ontario is really taking this seriously, which is really awesome to see. Um, they're not too far from New York, so I'm really hoping for good matches between New York and Ontario if there really are um, like re- regional divisions or something like that. Um, I think that'd be really awesome. Victor, you want to go? Yes, I, I, you I just waited to see what was going to you happen. Don't have to wait. You don't have to wait for me. Just ah. jump in. Okay, we'll do. No problem. Okay, so yes, um, I'm looking at the names, and things are looking good so far in the Ontario Arrows, I have to say. So hopefully they do indeed enter Major League Rugby by 2019. And yes, since uh, Ontario province is quite close to New York State, I'm expecting the the team to come down to New York City again to play. Uh, I was first in the game they had with, with All Blue. Really good game, by the way. It got to the wire as well. Oh, actually, they were not called Ontario Arrows at the time. They were, they were still called Ontario Blues, but, you know. But really, it was a really good game. 31-29 was the score. I still remember it. That, that's how memorable the the game was. But, but yeah, again, kudos to the Arrows, and best of luck for them coming in into the following season, I hope. Tosan, all right, ahead, sir. I'm sorry, I don't want to cut you off to some, but it's actually really good to see that Ontario is very active on social media, you know, saying tweets like, oh, great practice, but they're actually posting pictures, everything like that. Good shit. So, 
Go on, son. <laughs> About to say, I'm about to say the same. Um, I actually haven't. I've just started following, getting this, getting a sense of what Ontario's doing. So, but from like what we had mentioned before, they have big names, big local names. I should say, big regional names, and that, I think that's a bit. That's going to be the foothold that's going to pull people. Um, Ontario rugby is kind of is pretty. It's, it's it's pretty. It's pretty popping. I think it's second to. I don't know. I don't know how I can't really I can't really say how it ranks in comparison to Toronto um, or Vancouver. So. Um, so the two leading provinces for the CRC uh, was is Ontario and B.C. Uh, 2017, the head coach for the Seawolves now was the 20, uh, 2017 CRC champion. And then the three years prior, it was this guy. Mm. So of ten provinces, only two are good, which is Ontario and British Columbia. Everyone else is like. It's weird though, because at the New York Sevens tournament, there were a, a shit ton of people from Montreal, like mostly like all French Canadians, like a mm-hmm. ton of them. Mm-hmm. I don't know why mm-hmm. they all decided to come. I guess because it's warmer. I mean, that's what they told me. It's warmer in New York than it is in Montreal in November, but like, there were a ton of guys out there. There's at least good numbers. I don't know if they're actually successful, but I think Canada also really just focuses on Vancouver and BC because of the premier league and, and now their headquarters for the national team. And then Ontario for I guess similar reasons. And then you have to go to one of the places if you want to make it there. Quebec is very interesting because when it comes to men's rugby, Quebec is sort of down, but when it comes to women's rugby, Quebec is like, yeah. number one. About to say, I don't know why. Um, Magley Harvey, um, um, Karen Pakan, they're all from that. Re- I mean, these are heavy hitters that mm-hmm. are coming out of there from the women's side, which I, I thought was really interesting. The weird thing is, uh, um, unlike, you know, a lot of like here where like the places are sort of similar and where the top flight uh, rugby athletes, if they, you know, have been playing rugby from an early time come from, uh, Canada seems to be like, they don't, people, people don't seem to be coming from the same places. Like men come from a specific place and then women come from another. Right. I don't, I don't know why. Yeah. Me neither. But I just found that really interesting. It's really sad, though, that we don't get to see anyone from Manitoba eh, or Princess or Island, Saskatchewan. I mean, just, I mean, you got players, for example, though? but I mean, not many, though. Hmm. Like, there's very oh. few guys from Saskatchewan. It's because I mean, the place is covered I mean, with snow. There's a lot more. Well, I don't know, but hang it. I mean, you know, Saskatchewan. Yeah, it's, they're all <laughs> hockey players. Exactly the same thing with Manitoba. I want to see some guys from Manitoba. Very few guys in the national team come from those three places. Heck, from Newfoundland. Very few. I don't even. No, no, no. I think there's like two or three guys from the Atlantic Rock from up he's there. Tr- he's trying to and get us out. Let's not even talk about Nova Scotia and Brunswick. with. You know, Brian. Yeah, exactly. In the Brunswick or Nova Scotia, I mean, like, what the heck? And let's never talk about the people up in the territories and Yukon or West Territories. Because um, the snow boots. doesn't I mean, melt. Yes, of course. I understand those three places, though. <laughs> Dang so, it. Um, moving on to uh, Rugby Club New York. So, Victor's right. The Ontario Blues program had come down to play Old Blue. Uh and then uh, earlier this fall, they play. They also played this fall in addition to last spring. Uh, earlier this fall, the Ontario Arrows ran a proof of concept tour. They flew to Denver and then went by bus the two miles it takes to get to Glendale. 
I think it's like five or six, but um, they played the Glendale Raptors. Uh, Ontario Arrows have a home-and-home series against a Boston select side and also against Rugby Club New York, which gets us to the Rugby Club New York staff. Uh, This hasn't really been announced, but it was like a footnote at the bottom of a article on Rugby Today so, which makes it kind of interesting. So, I guess a soft announcement. Um, on paper, it's just two guys. I wonder if anyone else is going to be a part of the staff. So, I don't, I don't know yet. But Bruce McLean, he's a very accomplished mm-hmm. club, co- club and college coach. Currently, you know, he, Iona, right? he yep, he uh, led Nyack as an assistant <laughs> head coach for over a twelve period, twelve year period of time. Is currently in the midst of a, of his third year at uh, Iona College and they've they don't have a football team and it's you know as close to I, I, I say varsity for me is always like NCAA I, I don't like entrenching the men's rugby into the varsity sphere partially because I think it's confusing to some people but partially because it, it it goes to a much greater meaning of the resources that should be there, which come with NCAA status, but a high performance, well-funded club at Iona college. Uh, they hosted, they, they had three games on ESPN three, uh, this fall, which was really cool. Matt McCarthy called the one against army. Um, and he also served as manager for the USA Islanders project this last summer. He will be assisting head coach Mike Tolkien, the former USA Eagles head coach. Mike is also another former Nyack head coach, uh, coach Nyack to three club national championships. He's also previously led uh, high school powerhouse program Xavier High School to three national championships and went to many semifinals with them. Dan, I mean that's that's uh, I mean that's that's pretty good as a. Uh two coaches in the area. I mean, you, you really couldn't get much better than that, um, especially because we don't know if this is going to be the actual Rugby Club New York coaching staff, if they're actually going to be involved, or if it's just for the exhibition, um, if it's just for the exhibition match coming up in the spring. Because I think uh, it's going to be Old Blue and Nyack coming together, or they're going to get players from them in New York and other clubs in the area, and then they're just going to go back to their clubs after. It's sort of like a, a proof of concept match. Um, then these are really good coaches to bring together for this. Um, but even if they were for, for full time, I'd be very happy with that. I don't know too much about their actual skills as coaches and their preferences, but they are successful um, at the D1, uh, at the high school level, which is also very good for um, you know bringing in an academy. You want to bring in some talented players and having one of the best high schools in the city, um, right there, would be really awesome for the club too, as a potential future um, future players. Anyone else? Victor, another New Yorker. You want? You have some comments on that? You've seen them play a bit. Sure. Too. Yeah. Let me jump in on that one. Yes, I have seen. Well, the well, not RCNY, but I definitely have seen the Ontario Blues, as I talked about before. Really, it was a good outfit. I'm sure they're better now as the Arrows. Uh, now, in regards to RCNY, uh, like you like you just mentioned, Dan, I'm assuming that the bulk of the team is going to be all blue and and New York Athletic Club. We may get get a couple of your fellow guys from New York Rugby Club. We who knows? Hopefully, we gotta get some people from Morris. 
uh, this other place, um, whatever I forgot. No, well, I was no. I'm thinking of the of the, of the two, the three clubs you know, like in, in, the, in the city area, Brooklyn, and all them. Yeah, yeah. Actually, well, Brooklyn Rugby, of course. Definitely, that's like, that's my hometown, hometown team. So hopefully, we get a couple of those guys in, in this one. Now, that's mix. I have to say, when Mike Tolkien and, and Bruce McLean, and I, I, I know they know each other, and McLean, in several times, has mentioned that he's a best friends with um, well friends really with Mike so I think they, sh- they hopefully have a good synergy now what I'm hoping is if this ro- rugby club New York team uh, stays long and becomes part of, this, of the fabric of the city hopefully we're going to get a couple of the uh, uh, kids coming from Fordham University and others coming into this team maybe some of the high school kids from from Xavier after they go to college and finish they go straight to the New York team yeah, hopefully that happens. So I'm crossing my fingers everything goes well. If they have something open, as in like a combine or whatever, hopefully I'll be able to go and let you guys know what's happening. Hopefully you Dan can go with me so the two of us can be there. But if not, I'll take pictures from the bushes. I'll take, I, 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 of course, I'll take it upon myself. So I'll be sure to let you know. No worries. But yeah, that's my piece on that. Hosan, go ahead. I think, um, like I said about Ontario. Don't know quite much about it, but I'm following it now. Um, but for the New York portion, I think it's quite a bit more interesting than even we may realize because um, New York's one of those places that has potential to draw people from all kinds of places. Um, so you, you don't forget, you can't forget about Connecticut. You can't forget about, um, you know, from Philly, from Philly to New York is not an unreasonable, an unreasonable commute. People make it every day. Um, so the amount of rugby within a three-hour radius of the city of New York is actually pretty substantial. Um, and that means, and I'm talking about good university entrenched clubs um, playing at at least the Division One level, you know, have a roster of at least, you know, maybe an A through C side in, in a lot of cases, all within three hours of New York City. So what does that mean? We haven't been able to make that into anything except, you know, feeding some clubs. But what could we do in terms of supporting a fan base? Well, I mean, New York's the city that never sleeps. And if you can sell, if you can sell in New York, you can sell anywhere. So I think that there are, there's the money there. There is the, the fertile ground. There is the sort of environment and openness to that type of idea. And these two clubs, thankfully, have a reasonably well-entrenched culture in New York. So, you know, that, that's something that if they come together on this, it could be really interesting. Now, shout out to Bruce McLean. Shout out to Mike Tolkien. Um, you know, those are pretty well-known names in the area. But I mentioned, on, like I mentioned on the notes, um, New York is full of rugby minds. Some of them may not be involved with rugby at all right now. Yeah. And that's the other part of it. So, New York has plenty of money. Um, they have access to plenty of money through, um, through their alumni bases. If they want, if they want to put some folks on paper, some technical folks, they can get them. I mean, didn't they have? Um, um, not Carl Heyman, but um, um, Franks, um, one of the Franks brothers, was up in New York working with scrums for a while. Um, a lot of the Queensland guys went through there, so they have no problem bringing in um, the act getting access to the rugby brains they feel they need. I mean, even, um, Reinhardt over with, um, New York, with New York women. Um, these are folks that 
fantastic coaches, fantastic minds, well-developed, great pedigree in the game. Some have professional experience. Um, I think we're just seeing the beginning of this. Um, so that's one that I'm actually kind of low-key very excited about. I just want to see, is this going to be a scaled-up version of club? Or are we going to make the leap into professional with this? Yeah, New York's uh, it's, it's a really interesting city because it's it's both very easy to sell a sports team to, but at the same time, extremely difficult to sell a sports mm-hmm. team to. Weird juxtaposition. Um, there are a ton of rugby people or even just expats from rugby playing countries right. in the city who would be interested. So that's a good... All of them. Uh, yeah, that's a good um, I guess small fan base in that. But I just hope they don't get lazy in the sense and say, oh, we'll just market to the rugby people. There's so many right. people here. We can get 5,000 people. That's great. You can get so much more if you're doing what Houston's doing and getting non-rugby people um, mm-hmm. from New York. Um, I mean, people in New York... Especially if it's if it's on Manhattan, um, a sports team that plays in Manhattan is a huge deal uh, mm-hmm. because right now the only one that's kind of close to Manhattan is are the Yankees or NYCFC, which mm-hmm. is not a soccer field. So that's a whole different conversation. But you know, Jets never came to Manhattan. Thank God they did not. But they people wanted it because they wanted like a contact sport on a field. But there's no field. It's only like Madison Square Garden or baseball teams. Right. Right. Well, I mean, let me put let me put this out to y'all like this. Right. So I grew up playing. I grew up playing all kinds of sports. I played a lot of soccer growing up too, um, being a Nigerian. But I maybe bought one ticket to a soccer game in my entire life. Um, And I think that, you know, if you think about it, the fact that folks have played, we rely on way too heavily in our marketing plans. Think of all the sports all of us here play that we haven't bought a single ticket to go see. You know, uh, the most I think the most participated in sport in the United States is soccer. Yep. That I mean, is it really helping the MLS? Not really. So, so they sell like ticket wise, but no one watches MLS. Like, like no one watches MLS. People go watch. I got, I got boys to play it and I don't watch it. That's the sad part. <laughs> People go to the games. They just – they don't watch. So they'll go watch the I'll watch Maryland before I watch MLS. Not, not, no disrespect to MLS, but I have an engagement with the Maryland soccer team. Yeah. I don't have that with – I don't still have that with any MLS sides. And, I mean, we're, I'm in there one of the best, D.C. United. Yeah. Yeah, they want to go to the soccer matches, but then if you can sit at home and, and choose to watch MLS or EPL, EPL may actually be easier to find. Yes. Um, on NBC, bro. To, 10 times out of 10. NBC Sports. You can get NBC Sports Gold, too. Same package for rugby. <laughs> yeah. I mean, that's a whole different conversation on that, though. But, yeah, it's, it's People go by player bases way too much for for potential fans, um, right? It's, it's, they, they ignore the conversion base. rate. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Because, and what's funny is. is in this country, I really don't understand why people rely on the rugby community because statistically, so there's a hundred and twenty ish thousand people that are registered members, right? I would say 90,000 of that are not rugby consumers at all. At Period. All. They, they do their, they do their thing on Saturday 
And, and then, shit, 80% of them don't even pay their dues. <laughs> uh, I mean, I'm just saying, like, they're not paying to play. They don't even want to pay to watch. <laughs> pay to play? Why would I pay to watch, you know? Mm-hmm. They're all in shorts at the pitch and shit. They don't buy nothing. <laughs> <laughs> so true. So bad. But um, yeah, so I. I think, you know, especially with, uh, you know, Houston and, uh, and Glendale, I think there, there is not a, a reliance on the rugby community. I think they're trying to, I think they're trying to expand beyond that. Like they are connected, they are connected and engaging with the rugby community because they know those people are important, but they are marketing outside of that because, you you have to if you want to have a sustainable project. Yeah, people like also um, when people say, why isn't there a San Francisco team or Northern California team? Because there are so many rugby players in Northern California. Um, it's not like you walk down the street and you see people wearing rugby jerseys or, hey. or anything like that. It happens. Yo, Mark Zuckerberg says he'll pay for a team. Yeah, never, <laughs> never happening. Um, well, like it has good tradition out there, but at the same time, like, even though there are a lot more players there, it's still like a lot more compared to 20. So it's not like there's, you know, hundreds of thousands of players out there who are really into it. You know, you you have to build your fan base in these places. It helps when you're first starting off to be in a place with lots of rugby fans, but in the long run. But think about like, okay, like the, like for the NHL, I use that example. How many hockey players are in Tampa Bay? Like, you know, or in Nashville. Hey, there's a lot of hockey players in this, in this town. Okay. Um, (laughs) The uh, first overall pick last year from Scottsdale. See? Or Vegas. Yeah. Now we talk about Vegas. How many hockey players are in Vegas? So many people live in Vegas. There are more. There are probably more hockey players in Cleveland than any of those cities. But Cleveland doesn't have a team. (laughs) You know, we. I think we could. We could retitle this episode the Commercial Musings Podcast. But yeah, we really want to keep coming back to this topic. Like we're we're dying to come back to this topic every single chance we can. So we're gonna make this work. You like money. And by the way, guys, real quick before we pass on, I just found something I was not even aware of. Apparently, a couple of Google employees have created their own rugby team called yep. Google Rugby. Yes. Wow. Oh yeah. 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 They uh, they had a one of the guys on that team like is very good. I, I forget. I don't. I forget who it is. But uh, Google. Most of these. Uh, most of those tech firms up there. They have athletic campuses mm-hmm. that rival some like D1 colleges. And I'm like, you're wow. like, what? Because guess what? You don't want your employees get dying at their desk. Right. You also want them to stay at the office longer. Exactly. Yep. yep. All that stuff. Them around. Yeah. Oh, you yeah. oh, you That's got right. a gym? Guess what? Dude's coming in on Saturday. You yeah. know? I oh, might as well do work. I'm here anyway. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. There was a, a Google employee who lived in a in a in like a Mack truck that he bought for like a thousand dollars, and then he just did everything at, at Google, like showers, breakfast, gym, work. He just slept in the truck, and then that was it. 
Because yeah. an apartment is, yeah. A box in an apartment in San Francisco costs about eight hundred dollars a month, and that's not even a joke. Someone actually pays that, so right. No, I'm, I'm, yeah, like, yeah. I, um, my, I worked for a biotech startup in Mountain View, and I for forty four seconds considered moving over there, and then I looked at the rent prices, was like, nah, you're gonna keep Mountain paying for View, money. man. You're gonna like move past Gilroy. Because even the home prices in Gilroy are expensive. Right. Like, yeah. like, right. So. I mean, might as well live in Sacramento. Like, <laughs> like <laughs> I mean, there's nothing you can do. Like, so it's, that, it's yeah. funny. Oh, it's funny, though. Uh, Victor probably feels the same way. as like people who live in New York, we're used to really high rent. So mm-hmm. whenever we, if we, if if I ever just dream about moving to a different place, as long as I'm making similar salary, I know that my rent is just going to drop or I'm going to get twice as large apartment san francisco is mm-hmm. not the case like there's one place that's above new york and it's san francisco pretty much mm-hmm. that's the one yeah. place oh, i can't actually was, have that i actually thought it was honolulu but i guess oh yeah it's, I guess it's pretty expensive honolulu's like honolulu's for i don't know i mean weird honolulu is way expensive but yeah mm-hmm. everyone let's go to let's go to hawaii uh not we're gonna go to iowa because what a ball <laughs> <laughs> because the producer pays seven. The producer has like a massive backyard and a two-bedroom house for seven hundred a month on his mortgage. I hate him so much. <laughs> I hate him so much. But um, I, I pay more for I pay I, I pay more for his for, for that he pays for mortgage. I pay a thousand fifteen for for a studio. And, and and this guy pays seven hundred for two bedrooms in Iowa. That sucks. Like that I'm, is not fair. My parents live in Delaware, and like yeah, they're I live in the D.C. area. My our house house costs more than my mortgage now. It's like ridiculous. Wow. It costs less than my mortgage now. Like it's there's no taxes. I don't know how there. it's disgusting. Yeah, that's that's how. Oh, speaking of which, are you uh, if you're in the D.C. area, are you going to head over to the um, the Wales South Africa match when they? Yeah. I'll be I'll be in the building. Be in the building. Be playing a proper rugby match huh, down there. All right. <laughs> uh, uh, all right. Hey, I mean, he kept. I'm, I'm, I'm. You know what? As much as I love the Eagles, I'm not even mad at him. <laughs> Everyone's pissed off. I, I'm not mad at him for playing somebody else. I'm just for actually saying the reason. Just yeah. you didn't need. Well, I mean, if South Africa said it, I would have respected him. You know. But it it was you know hey, we, we, let's put it this way we ain't beating either one of them right now so unfortunately <laughs> let's get a coach in the building <laughs> and then we can worry about who we're gonna play and this that and the other like yep. we just hey, do not have hey, our stuff together yet hey he's supposed to be he's supposed to be in Colorado right now for the NDS right right I did see that so I did see that we'll see if he shows up because the last guy who came from South Africa you know damn. but uh all right uh we're gonna move forward moving on to player signings um pizza naruma austin he plays all sorts of positions he is a flying fijian um he pita naruma jr his father was a lock and loose forward in the late 80s for fiji Mm -hmm. uh pita was a fiji u18 player uh, then went to St. Peter's College in New Zealand. 
before go- going to play at Wheeling Jesuit. Um, he most recently played up at Metropolis. Um, so I'm guessing his old teammate, Peter Malcolm, was like, hey, man, come to Austin. Um, but I this was confirmed by uh, one of the guys on the board uh, named Marius, who was paying attention to all of these social media postings by Austin. And uh, then I confirmed it later on in the week. Uh, for And Peter plays – he can play center. He can play eight. He can play lock. He is a stud. Um, then for New Orleans, we've got Punara, Joey Sock. Uh, he's mentioned in uh, the Striffler Rugby City podcast that was uh, went out last night. Uh, he's a winger in scrum half. Uh, he's played a lot of high-level sevens. He's been a member of the Falcons multiple times. He's been in Eagle Sevens camp a few times, came through the Tiger Academy, and most recently played with Columbus Rugby Club. Dan, you got two guys. Yeah, um, I think this is by far the most interesting um, signing for a couple of reasons. One, it's by San Diego. Um, the San Diego Legion and Digital Sport both confirmed the signing of Fly Half uh, Taj... Tag? tag so tag. tag i don't know i don't know how you say leader in like unless it is just leader i think you probably have to say it a different tag, way. tag lighter i don't know just anyway. like leader tl um so i'll get to why it's interesting in a second but he originally came over from ireland used to play at least in the connect rugby connect rugby system Lindenwood um, as a player, but then um, I think ended up being a coach or something like that because he wasn't allowed to play because he was professional or whatever. Um, became a player coach for the St. Louis Royals rugby. Um, really helped them win their D3 uh, club national championship. He also played with the Boston Irish Wolfhounds. Um, the part that really makes this interesting is that um, tag leader is actually the COO of Digita Sport. Mm-hmm. Um, I think there are only two people based in the U.S. for Digitus. They have signed um, a couple of U.S.-based players. He personally helped um, David Ainu get signed by the Toulouse uh, French Academy. So, I mean, it's great. This entire Digitus Sport whole system is great. Um, however, he's now a player, too. So... Um, it's kind of um, interesting what's going to happen now that he's, he's playing for San Diego. I don't know exactly how that happened. I mean, I was pre-law, so I know how law works, but I mean, he's, he's working, he's going to be a San Diego player, but at the same time, uh, I think he's taking a backseat. This is actually, I'm getting all this from, I'm sorry, forgot to mention the source. It was a, an Irish um, article that mentioned all of these things. Murray Um, Kinsella. Um, Writer for the 42.ie, one of the preeminent rugby writers in the world, to be honest. He uh, got on a plane, went to New Zealand, and followed the Lions around for 10 straight weeks. Um, And he's pretty good at game game analysis. So, yeah. So, I mean, that's a really interesting signing. Um, It also wasn't announced officially by San Diego. so that also is kind of interesting there. I mean, um, they have a couple of players that we know of that kind of got 
um, announced through other sources, um, one being the photo that they took, and we kind of figured that was the case. Um, so we'll see what happens with their their announcements. We heard the announcements were coming soon from San Diego, so um, you know, let's see what's going on with uh, with them. But the the second signing we have coming up, uh, Melvin D'Souza from NOLA. Um, I don't know too much about him, except that he came from Metropolis, is now playing for NOLA. I think he's a crossover athlete. I believe he was a, a, both a football and uh, football player and wrestler um, just started playing a couple of years ago. So I think this is actually what Nate Osborne, I, was it with your interview, Aaron, that Nate said yeah. that he was specifically looking at certain crossover athletes to build this yeah. sort of academy? Yep. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so that's who he is. Um, they have a raw talent, so it's good to see them kind of, um, you know, round out the roster there. So those are my two signings I got. Victor, I think you got someone too. Yes, sir. I have a couple, actually, a couple of players. So we're going to start from the top. So first, guys, we have two signings from New Orleans Gold Rugby Club. First it is Eggman Will Crawford. Who's coming from Louisiana Tech or Tech Rugby to us? Is or LA Tech is also the nickname. So he's originally from Fayetteville, Arkansas. No, I'm not familiar with a lot of things in Arkansas, but he's from Fayetteville, and he's learned his rugby while attending a rugby camp from Culver Academies, which I never heard of them until last week. Apparently, Culver is one of the top private institutions in the country. Go figure. Um, it's a college preparatory school, by the way, known from its from its high tuition rate. That's what I found. It's known because it's really expensive. It's like fifty grand, man. I didn't know. You gotta be bro. coming from money to go there. Come on, bro. We esports. No foul language. What's happening? So, anyways, <laughs> so the switch. <laughs> I'm glad you caught that esports joke. I'm glad. Oh, I, kn- I knew one of you guys would know about esports. There oh. we, go. we talk about we talk about video game sports, guys. Like sometimes uh, the casters curse and people say, "Hey, cool esports," you know. So, people, so that was a joke. Anyways, so it's done for that. So after graduation, he headed to the University of Arkansas and then moved to LA Tech. The switch proved useful uh, because he spent summer playing for Hot Old Boys Marys in Wellington, New New Zealand, to fine-tune his technique. And hopefully with this incorporation to the Nolagol squad, Crawford's development should rise faster and might be part of a USA Eagle setup in the future, I hope. Then after him, we also had an, uh, again, the other guy from NOLA, which was another eight man, Mr. Todd Dupre. I want to say Dupre because I think it's, I think it's French. He is from Louisiana, from West Wego, which um, sounds like a Native American word, maybe. Uh, and he's been a constant player in the back row of Louisiana State University from the Tigers. And he has made the Red River Conference first teams above juniors and seniors several tri- times. He graduated this past December, actually, with a degree in kinesiology. So kudos to him. Congrats for graduating. He's expected to do big things for the club. So kudos to him. Now, lastly, because it, and I don't know how we forgot this gentleman to mention him, but also signed last week, we have a Seattle Seawolf player, a Mr. Uh, Peter Smith. 
He's coming straight from the Northwest, from Chicago Lions. He's originally from Ingleside, New South Wales, Australia. He began playing rugby oh. union for his local club in the Sovereigns. We didn't mm-hmm. forget yeah, him. No worries, it happens. But, uh, I forgot to put him in the script. Hey, it's okay. It's, it's okay. I didn't forget about him. No, not a problem. So again, he play, he played for another Sovereigns who plays for the Shoot Shield competition, and that's where um, one of our, uh, our hookers, Jane Silvergram, plays for. He plays not for that team. He plays for Mangley, but in the same competition. He left Australia in 2011. As a 21-year-old, and he was part of the Welsh team Ospreys in then Pro 12, now Pro 14. He was only there for a year, and then eventually moved to Japan's top league, and he played for Coca-Cola Red Sparks in 2012. Then from there, he moved to another team, Kobata Spears, and then he suffered an injury in 2015. He left Japan to come to the U.S. to play American football for the University of Central Missouri as a punter. And then he ended up playing for Salina Liberty in the AFL. And I'm not talking about Australian Football League, by the way. Oh, well, oh, I'm sorry. IFL, not AFL. IFL, because I need to put the Australian twang into it. No, no, no. It's, it's a different, in, it's called the Indoor Football League. Oh, IFL, yes. Indoor yeah. Football League. I'm sorry. So yes. I'm guessing I'm sorry. that means he gets paid less than the dude who only gets paid $100. I don't know. Of course. Oh, I'm, I'm sure. Match yes. fee that's sorry. less it's than because- what's on TV. Sorry, it's because when Australians say A sounds like an I to me. So I thought that's what you were trying to. I thought that was a joke. But yes, IFL, Indoor Football League. That's true. He, then he eventually returned to Union and was playing for Chicago until recently. Again, now he's moving to the Seawolves. So with that, guys, those are our signings for the week. So we had seven of them. So we'll go to, I guess this is like. In fact, we're, I'm going to call this a view. Sort of news, sort of abuse. So only seventeen. Yeah, only seventeen players attended the San Diego Legion Combine. Uh, you know, looking at the social media presence of SD right now, it's the lowest in the league. They haven't really posted much since you know their full announcement uh, back. You know, in Octo- late October, um, there just isn't much, and they haven't really grown a lot since you know the first couple weeks, um, and. There really wasn't a push, and we sort of felt that when it was announced, like it wasn't pushed immediately via social channels. We sort of like found out via, you know, a guy just perusing the website. Smashed them, bro. Shout out to you. And uh, you know, I think that sort of stunted their their social growth. You can't really neglect social. Uh, you know, traditional marketing is very important, but the social is now really folded into your traditional marketing. It's part of like the cogs in, in the marketing machine that you have to, I wouldn't say rely on it, but use it effectively. Like, um, you know, Glendale, Austin, uh, Sabercats have, um, largest combines were Utah and Seattle, uh, Austin Huns and Houston both had really good combines. And then Nola and Glendale did not, uh, run combines, but they have full teams in camp right now. Um, I, I don't know what this means. It could mean that they have all their players, but I would have liked, you know, when it comes to assessing people in combines, you want a lot of people to show up because you're looking at the measurables, right? Um, if So quantity to an extent is better than quality because if you only have three guys show up, 
um, you know, it's hard to assess them versus other people that could have shown up. So that's, I would say it's a concern for me. Yeah, I mean, it's, um, we haven't seen much from them. I remember when they first were announced and we heard there'd be announcements coming up. Um, I think the, they were in November, which is when the CBS sports deal was. I think that's when it happened. Um, we were waiting to see what was going to happen and we haven't seen too much as it's at first I said, okay, I'm going to hold back and see what happens. Um, but then as uh, weeks go by, I still, we still haven't heard an official player announcement, not a single official player announcement. Um, we know about three or four, as I mentioned before, but none were actually officially mentioned. Um, it's a shame because San Diego's I think had a pretty good fan base for pro and they, they already even have a Facebook group that's for supporters. It's the only uh, team, as far as I'm concerned, that actually has a supporters fan page that's pretty active for the most part of people posting. But you can kind of see a little bit of frustration from some of the fans. So I would uh, I would hope that they, they do give a bit more so people in the area really know that there is a team that's there, uh, that they really actively engage with the community. Because if they really start kicking into gear you know, in the next three weeks, that's February. That's already two months out from when the league starts. Meanwhile, you have Houston who has all the preseason matches that have been going on since two weeks ago. So it's, it's not the end of the world, but it is a little concerning from that part. And uh, moving on to tweet of the week. Dan, you found something. Um, I actually didn't find this, but someone said I found this. So, um, Oh, I actually know this. So this week's tweet comes from Bill Conrad, who's at, Campaign Conrad. He's the coach of Kenmore Rugby in Tonawanda, upstate New York, which is close to Buffalo. Uh, coach Conrad tweeted a picture of his six-year-old son celebrating his birthday and the following caption. Uh, what is the six-year-old birthday request? A Kenmore boy, a Kenmore boy's rugby cake. Uh, we assume dad plays six because that is the number on the cake jersey, but happy birthday nonetheless. Um, so that's really awesome. The kid looked you know, really excited. I think he, if, if I'm not mistaken, Kenmore is um, like a youth rugby club, at least it seems that way. So I think he may actually play. So that's awesome. Uh, getting some future Eagles out there. Um, kid had a huge smile. So that's really, really nice to see just getting more kids out there playing. I mean, honestly at that age, just give them a ball and say, run around and throw it at someone else. And then they think they're playing rugby. So, you know, that's all, that's what we really need coming up. Um, well, that's our tweet. I think we have, um, I think we have a guest joining us right now. Hey, guys, what's going on? Oh, it's good to see oh, you. Where have you been? Uh, I, you know, oh. I was uh, just back here taking a nap. I, I kind of dozed off before the beginning of the show. and But I understand uh, it's time for questions from Bob. And, yeah, uh, yeah so we got a few of them this week, actually. Uh, first, I want to give a shout-out to uh, the guys who've been hanging out with us over on the comments section here on YouTube. Thanks for watching and joining in on the conversation. So first up, I'm actually going to go ahead and shoot you a question from uh, Super Sentai. Sentai? Sentai, probably. Sentai. Sentai? Okay. Uh, my Japanese is a little rough. Anyway, uh, he would like to know, what happened to the Pacific Nations Cup? I miss that competition. So, so I want to see the U.S. play the likes of uh, Japan, Tonga, Samoa, and Fiji again. A, we, yeah. we need to play those guys, those teams more often. Um, but the answer is uh, the ARC, 
the America's Rugby Championship went from a an A side competition uh, to a full capped side competition minus Argentina 15s, um, and it was replaced by an A side competition called the America's Pacific Challenge, which is a six team uh, competition usually held in the summers. Fiji played there. Uh, I think Tonga, no, no, Samoa played in it this summer. So. There's it, there's a developmental competition called the America's Pacific Challenge that has taken its place now, and also the America's Rugby Challenge has been formed since then. So before that, we didn't really have that many test matches for the U.S. side, uh, but now we get an additional five per year um, from South American teams. That's consistent, so it is um, also kind of replacing that too. So I guess they don't really feel the need to replace them, though. I I think it, it'd be really awesome to bring them back, just because. Um, we always tend to um, lose to them, or at least most of them. And uh, most of them are also ranked higher than us. So it's a real challenge for our side to play against. But they were replaced by similar kinds of com- uh, competitions. All right. Well, very interesting. And uh, thank you again to Super Sentai for turning that question in. And as always, be sure to jump in on the comments whenever you guys want. And we. Uh, Love to hear from you. So uh, we've got two questions actually were uh, left over from last week's show that we didn't get to. So uh, these are coming off of our Reddit page, which for everybody uh, watching at home, that's reddit.com slash r slash mlrugby. Go there and uh, we'd like to take questions from folks for questions from Bob uh, on that site. So uh, these are both coming from Humpers92 and uh, he would like to know, um, in 2019, so looking at season two, can MLR use a round robin uh, style, continue to use a round robin style league as it is now, or will it be easier and um, financially better uh, to switch to conferences? Uh, so as we're expanding the team lineup, I think is basically what we're talking about here. I guess it depends on if they go from seven to 10 or seven to 12. Although Mm -hmm. I I don't, even if they go to 12, I don't think they'll split to conferences, Uh, but it won't be, you know, home and away like in Aviva because I think the schedule will extend like eight more weeks out. So you'll have like a, you know, like a 14 match uh, schedule plus playoffs. That's what I I think. I think it also depends on where the teams are. Um, if they're absolutely nowhere near each other, you might not see that conference set up because the conference might come around because it's just easier for people to get from place to place and cheaper, um, saves money and also helps build some rivalry. Um, but if it's, if it's just as expensive to get, you know, from Texas to Colorado or Texas, to New York, or I don't know how much it costs, but if it doesn't make sense, it may not end up, um, coming out or you may see some people like Austin and Houston and Nola might play each other more maybe twice as opposed to once, but you know what they said there. I think, I think that I think not, the numbers are going to matter um, yeah. for there to be, because every match is an opportunity for revenue, right? So you want to have as many of those within a certain period of time as possible, but you also want to um, increase the feasibility of these things being successful. So, one thing that the MLR is set up right, at least as of now, um, the teams are in 
um, are in, are all centered around hubs, which you know not difficult to fly into. Um, the you know with planning, the costs aren't too bad depending on where you um, where you're going from place to place. But um, I can't imagine, and this is speaking in terms of what would sell to the American sports market. I couldn't imagine us having more than 10 or 12 teams and not going conferences um, just because that's not uh, some enormous list of, um, of teams of 10, 12, 15 teams, whatever we end up with. Um, I can't see the public taking to that and understanding it. They want to know, okay, going from group, to getting out of your group, which is the playoffs, and what is the method? Did everybody play each other so we have something to debate about on television or whatever? You know what I mean? Um, th- we love these things. Um, think about the NBA, East, East and Western Conference, AFC, NFC. These are things that I'm just thinking about, you know, are the biggest fish here, which is the American sports market. I think we need to kind of tag into that if we have the opportunity and also – Nobody's going to watch 12 individual matches and then five, um, you know, three or four playoff matches. That's an enormously long season and not a lot of room for error in terms of weather, you know? Yeah. I mean, numbers do matter um, a lot when it comes to how this actual structure is going to be. I think it's going to grow organically um, Mm -hmm. in terms of the actual structure, similar to MLS. Um, So right now we have seven. We're expecting 10 to 12 next year, perhaps. Um, we actually had a, a YouTube question right now um, asking, is there an eventual goal for the number of MLR teams? And if so, where might they be located? How many can the U.S. realistically handle? Mm. Um, so I think, they, I think they could. I mean, yeah, I can definitely handle a lot. Um, but I think, that, did they actually say that 24 was their goal? No. Or are we just... No, I think that's... Or- I think a lot of people are spitballing based on, you know, MLS. This is the one thing I'll give. uh, This is the one thing I'll give Doug credit for is he did the research on market cap. So when leagues become really profitable in this country, it is when they reach max saturation and the leagues are about between 30 and 32 teams, not more. (laughs) Um, that's when, and they're all a closed shop, no relegation, none of that BS. Um, that's when people start making a lot of money. Look at the NFL, Mm -hmm. look at Mm -hmm. uh, the NBA, look at, uh, you know, major league baseball. Um, so that, that he was right about that. Do I think MLR needs that? I think 24 is first thing I want is stability, Mm -hmm. you know? I want this league to actually last for 10 years or yeah, more. I want this league to last for 10 years. Um, if we get to 24 teams in 10 years and everyone's making money. Brilliant. Brilliant. But we need to get to where, you know, the league as a whole is profitable before, you know, we start hitting max saturation. Yeah, rugby two actually, even though, I mean, it may completely change in the U.S. because we have a lot more people living here, but – you see rugby stadiums overseas and they have like eight to 15,000 for most of them. Some of them are larger, but a lot of them are pretty small stadiums. Um, we also have 
a ton of more people living in the U.S. in some of these cities. So, like, Houston has, like, 5 million people. That's more than a lot of cities in, in England. But mm-hmm. you could have, like, it's, it's actually what comes from that is a more intimate kind of feel where um, you go to the games and you're a couple of rows away from the players and like they sit down on the bench, you can hear them talking to each other. Um, so that's a really awesome experience because then you go to an NFL game and even if you're all the way up close and pay $150 or $250 for those tickets, you still have this huge buffer for obvious reasons, but you have this huge buffer from them and the players and you can see them, but it's, you still feel like they're so far away. So it's, it's actually really nice to, to be able to have that sort of feeling. Um, so I think that might make it a bit easier if you only need to have, you know, if you can get 10,000 people in a stadium, um, eventually move up to maybe MLS stadiums and share it or something like that. But, you know, you can get smaller size stadiums. So that kind of helps a bit with, um, with this, I think at least. Well, and a quick shout out that, uh, question actually came from, uh, was it here? Art fan, uh, fan art exhibit. So thank you, fan art, for uh, sending that one in. So continuing with questions, guys. Um, one more from Humpers here. Uh, he would like to know, uh, talking about uh, the addition of Vancouver, with them announced, uh, seeing as the ownership is uh, at least part ownership of Seattle as well as Vancouver, uh, do we expect to see more multiple team owners coming out of this process? Um, so sort of surprised at this. Um, but when I asked um, some, not MLR, but some team guys, some team officials, they're like, hey, you know, the investment model is an MLS hybrid model. And in the early days of the MLS, um, you know, AEG uh, owned six teams. Hunt Sports owned three teams. So you get to the point where you're stable um, before you, you have to get stability. So, um, yeah, it's, it's possible. All right. And Anybody uh, else had any thoughts on that? Moving on. Uh, last question of the evening comes from Daniel, once again off the comments on our YouTube channel, so be sure to check that out. Uh, he would like to know, Will MLR have an import uh, or overseas player cap to protect homegrown talent? Yeah, they they currently do. I actually just responded to the question because I realized we're at an hour and 45 minutes and people probably don't care that much about us uh, to stay. But yeah, they, they currently have uh, a cap of, um, of five foreign players. Um, we don't know the exact specifics, but that's five players match for the day. game for match day. So you can have more, and like people like Seattle have more, uh, but five match day. Um, I mean, as far as I'm concerned, that all I know is it's five non-Eagles eligible. Um, yeah. So that, that can be people who haven't hit their three years or five years of residency. Um, I don't know the specifics. I think they're trying to work out specifics, but right now they just have five foreigners. And you can figure it out, I guess. I think some people try and interpret it differently. So currently, the rule mirrors USA's club rugby policy. Yeah. That was a direct quote. Yeah. Um, so that could change. Um, I think the, you know, they're going to bring in a lot of Charlie Hewitts. 
and Connor Murphy's, you know, 22, 23 year old guys who went through age grade systems in the UK that, you know, could eventually become Eagle qualified. And this is something that's actually really interesting about the article um, about tag leader, wherever you say his name is that he specifically says how there's a ton of guys over in Ireland who they only want to play for their province. So if they only want to play for Munster and they don't see that as a shot, uh, they're still really talented. They went to the academy system. They're 21, 22, but they see that they're playing behind a bunch of other guys and will not have a shot. Um, they basically just go back to the club rugby and, you know, kind of sit there for a bit and that's it. But he's saying that, you know, a lot of guys like that should and could come over to the league like US um, and MLR and that's where they can really shine and get their chance. And then maybe Monster or some other club would come back to them and say, hey, you actually, we, we can see you now. You're not behind 15 other Irish guys. You know, you kind of stand out there. So that's actually something that might happen a lot um, in the future too. I'd really like to see that too. Yeah, I think, uh, you know, a guy who is maybe second or third team in a tier one nation comes here and they're starting on everything. So <laughs> yeah, even uh, if that's just the state of things. Yeah, I mean, that's going to happen. But even if they are um, replacement guys or, or backups, um, they're still going to come in with the fundamentals, which if you're coming in for as a backup, if you don't have the fundamentals, then what's the point of having you there unless you're really for development? Um as a future player. So um, if they come in with the fundamentals, that makes it so that you probably wouldn't see as many huge blowouts um, in the last, especially in the last 15, 20, 30 minutes. Um, so that'd be really helpful. Very good. Well, guys, I think that about wraps us up for the evening. Uh, this has been a, it's been a long, but very, very informative and interesting discussion. So thank you so much for bringing this to us tonight. Thank you, Tassan, for joining us. Anybody have any final thoughts on our way out? Tassan, do you have any final thoughts about your experience here, how much you loved it, and how much you, you will recommend us to your friends? <laughs> oh, absolutely recommend. I mean, the Earful Dirt podcast had a blast. Um but I'd say if you're not checking it out, you're missing something. Come on out here and get with these guys. That's a soundbite. We got to find a way to to grab that. Yeah, <laughs> we got we got our first commercial right there <laughs> <laughs> on ESPN. Bowrugby.com endorsed. There you go. <laughs> Fans will come running. Aaron, you got anything for us on the way out? Uh, catch me with Sean Davies. Tomorrow at 11 a.m. Mountain Time, so that is 1 p.m. Eastern on this channel. Um, I will share it. No, I'll share it early in the morning. It's late. So, yeah. And, oh, yes. Oh, yes. Ladies and gentlemen, we introduced Josh uh, Fredlin before Christmas. He is uh, our content site editor, and our content site, uh, editorial site, is up. It is www.earfulofdirt.com. Absolutely. Well, thank you for that uh, plug, Aaron. Yeah, uh, earfulofdirt.com is live now, guys, and uh, that's something Josh has been working really hard on. Um, you can find uh, original content there. We're all kind of contributing articles here and there. And then Josh is doing most of the work, most of the heavy lifting himself. 
So it may not be the prettiest site on the internet, but you know what? Um, it's uh, what we got and we're bringing it to you. You can also find our shows every week there, both the video and the audio versions. And it's pretty much your one-stop shop, so you can get a hold of us. We got our email contact, all of our phone numbers, which Victor's about to send over to you. And uh, yeah, so it's something we're pretty proud of. And uh, be looking for those articles to start uh, spreading around the internet uh, like a disease. I would say almost like a, a virus, if you will. I don't know. Anyway, that's what we got. Uh, yeah, earfulofdirt.com. Victor, you ready to tell the folks how they can uh, get a hold of us otherwise? Yes, I can. And also, guys, real quick, shout-outs to the person that asked our first question, Mr. Super Sentai. If you're listening, just to let you know, I'm also a Super Sentai fan. You don't know, guys, Super Sentai is a show from Japan that inspired the Power Rangers, which is still going on 30-plus years on. Didn't, so, they, uh, so yeah. didn't, didn't they take actual clips from that for the Power Rangers fight sequences and they didn't even change yes, it. Yes, that is that is exactly right, guys. So Power Rangers is actually the um, Americanized version of Super Sentai. So wow. they took a show called Zero, Ra- in Zero Ranger and turned it into the Power Rangers from the early 90s. Yes, guys, there will be a Power Rangers podcast if you're going to ask me. Power Rangers podcast. <laughs> I, there has exactly. to be not, not podcast, podcast, P-O-P. There That's has right. to be a Power Rangers podcast out there somewhere. Of course, it's a, Power a podcast. podcast everything. Of course, of course, it's a Power Rangers podcast. I don't, I don't know how it's called, but I'm sure there is. So, anyways, guys, so it's just a, to finish up. Mm-hmm. Go ahead, Daniel. Ranger Danger podcast or the Grid. They're two different Power Rangers podcasts that I found within two ah, seconds. There you go. There's, uh-huh. there's two. What was that? Ranger, Ranger Danger, and what's the second one? Ranger Danger and. Um, the grid the grid yeah oh that oh that's cool that's is that's a reference to the morphing grid which is the thing that allows them to become power rangers huh, that's a cool thing. I, I like that cool nerd I that <laughs> yeah i am and i'm not nerd i am okay victor i'm a nerd too I i'm not afraid i'm not afraid to admit it i am a nerd i'm also okay, i'm also a rugby otaku as well rugby otaku all the way anime otaku and rugby otaku yeah. Otaku is someone that's like super excessive, ex- like obsessive about something. So for me, that's rugby and anime. So also rugby Otaku. Right. So, anyways, guys. So uh, this is the end of our podcast. Thank you for a podcast. Sorry, I'm keep pronouncing my my D's into P's again. English is my second language. Thank you for joining us, guys. Um, once again, thank you to Mr. Tosan from Bar Rugby for joining us as well. Glad that you enjoyed your time, sir. Hopefully, we'll have you. We need to have a podcast with you and Gift. Because that way we get a two Nigerian American guys in rugby and me, and you know, with three brown guys and everyone else. So let's see if we can pull something off like that. That we go. I'm brown too. And now we add. <laughs> and now we add. You know, we get the two the two whitest guys. We get Daniel and Corey because you know Aaron's only half Mexican. So we just move into the side. <laughs> so, <laughs> so, <laughs> so we just have to fight. Just the five of us. You know, sorry. I'm sorry, guys. I'm sorry. <laughs> I know Corey's gonna cut that part of the podcast version. I know he does. I know. I know he's gonna do that. No, but in all honesty, guys, thank you for joining us. Um, wow. Of course, as I always say, subscribe to our channel, YouTube, and YouTube.com/slash Earful of Dirt. Of course, find us at Earful of Dirt Podcast. Like us on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook, of course. And if you haven't already, make sure to follow us or add us to your feed on iTunes, Google Play, Stitcher. Player FM, 
I don't, I don't know if we're or an ACAS already. We might be an ACAS. Need to check. It, uh, and as always, guys, call us on our phone and leave us a voicemail. Again, still waiting. That phone number is 1-720-600-2679. So again, 1-720-600-2679. Drop us that voicemail if possible. And keep in mind that we do these live streams on YouTube at 7 p.m. Pacific, 10 p.m. Central, excuse me, 9 p.m. Central, and 10 p.m. Eastern Time. Sorry, it's probably because it's already 11 o'clock, and I'm thinking of 11 o'clock. So make sure to, again, follow those times if possible. So with that said, guys, uh, my name is Victor. Again, that was Aaron. That was Dan. That was Corey. Again, Tulsan, our guest. Thank you once again for joining us, and we'll catch you hopefully next week. Connect with Earful of Dirt anytime. We're on Facebook and Twitter as Earful of Dirt. You can email us at earfulofdirt at gmail.com or call and leave us a voicemail at 720-600-2679. Until next time, for Aaron, Dan, and Victor, I'm Corey. Thanks for joining us.